John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that we will, that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Uh, thank you, and good morning, everyone. Uh, James is my name, if you've just walked in. Uh, and a very special thanks to uh, Stephen and Kathy and the leadership team for inviting Karen, along, Karen and I along this weekend. It's just been a, a deep joy. Uh, when we left five years ago, people said all sorts of things to us. Uh, most of them I can't repeat. Uh, Andrew Newman, who drove down from Mount Barker this morning... Uh, said, James, all the best in the kind of capital city of anxiety as we headed off to Sydney. And I didn't realise at the time, actually, how significant those words would be. Uh, We faced in this crazy big city on the eastern seaboard this kind of avalanche of anxiety, particularly among high schoolers and our own kids were involved in this, uh, the deep troubles of the fear of the future and a whole range of different anxiety issues... Um, I've noticed again, actually, over uh, the course of the last couple of months, since the summer of bushfires, ongoing drought, uh, floods, just the increasing tension. Uh, I was in Christchurch, New Zealand last year in October, just after the terrorist attack, uh, and catching up with a friend who said, uh, talked about his own kids and their friends. He said, there's a whole generation who experience ongoing anxiety. Uh, They're never quite sure when the ground is going to start shaking again after the earthquakes. And then with the terrorist attacks, not quite sure whether they're going to be safe as they walk to and from school. Now, of course, anxiety is not something that's restricted to Sydney or Christchurch. Having a heart that's troubled is something we all know about. 
And some of us feel it more acutely than others, or at particular points in life more than others. And here in John 14, if you come back to this passage, you you meet a group of people whose hearts are deeply anxious, deeply troubled. Look there at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says to them. Now, why does he say, why are they feeling this way? Well, if you were here last week, I take it you looked at John chapter 13 and saw that Jesus had just said, I'm leaving you. I'm going away. And so they're troubled. They're anxious. They're fearful. What will Jesus say into this kind of world of anxiety and trouble? How will he address them? He doesn't say what we think he'll say, actually. And we've already been told in the preceding two chapters that Jesus is deeply troubled. He's the one who's got to go to the cross. Why doesn't he say to them, you think you've got problems? Do you have any idea of what I'm about to go through? I'm about to be executed. I'm about to be deserted by my family and friends. Now, what he does say in this passage, as we look at it for a few minutes, is this. He gives them big promises. He makes some massive claims and he sets some big expectations for them. Thank you very much. I'm not sure I can manage two different things. I'm just a simple guy. Um, What are the big promises that Jesus makes then? Look down there at verse 1 again. He says to the troubled disciples, trust in God, trust also in me. Depending on the version you've got, or believe in God, believe also in me. Which on its own sounds a bit cold. Just trust God, it'll be okay. But that's not where he ends. He actually outlines a number of promises for them. Reasons they can trust him. Reasons they can believe in him. So he says, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And after I prepare a place, I'll come back and take you to be with me. And you know where I'm going. One promise after another. Good reasons that you can depend on me. You can be secure in me. It's going to be okay. Now, it's a bit weird for us. We don't kind of get what's this kind of different rooms and places and preparation Um, for For the disciples, they know exactly what he's talking about. Jesus is talking here about the kind of marriage rights of the first century. And so what a a a a prospective husband would do would be to return to his father's house and prepare rooms where he and his new bride would live as a sign of commitment, as a sign that I'm serious about this thing we're about to embark on together. So Jesus is using the language of the kind of Jewish betrothal ceremonies to say to the disciples... I'm committed to you guys. I'm doing the thing that a prospective husband does for his beloved bride. I'm preparing rooms. I'm getting things ready. This is me showing how committed I am to you. It's not a cause for trouble or distress. It's a sign of commitment. So how's it going to happen? How's Jesus going to go and kind of build these rooms? Is he going to to strap on a high-vis vest and kind of get the cranes out? No, no, it's not that at all, actually. He's going to the cross. That's how he's going to prepare rooms. He's going to rise from the dead to ascend to be with his Father. And so he said to his disciples in chapter 13, verse 33, You can't come with me yet. It's not ready yet. 
I haven't gone to the cross yet. I haven't risen from the dead yet. But trust me, and it will happen. Now then Thomas comes into the frame. Um, Thomas is so good. You've got to love Thomas. He, he says what everyone else is thinking, but isn't brave enough to say. So you see there, as a, if you skip down to, chapter, uh, to verse 5. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Which just makes perfect sense. We, we don't have the foggiest what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you should. Like Jesus outlined those reasons for why you can feel secure. But he has got no idea. Now, of course, this kind of feeling of troubled, of being anxious, is something that those of you who are at Trinity Church Modbury now never feel. You never feel it because everything's so organized all the time. Um, uh, my old neighbor, Margie, who's not here now, uh, so I can say whatever I like about her. But um, when I said, uh, I rang her a couple of years after things, after Stephen and uh, Kathy had been here and said, look, how's it going? He said, James, look, we love you, but Stephen, he's just so wise. <laughs> and it's like he knows what's going on. And things just seem more organized. And um, she was very careful to make sure I wasn't hurt, and I wasn't at all. Uh, but that's the truth. In Stephen, you've got someone who does actually know what's going on, and things are organized. Um, now, things weren't always like that. Um, and it wasn't my fault, can I say. Uh, normally, it involved Simon Barber. Um, and so, on one particular occasion early on, uh, we, Simon said, look, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the kids to Anstey's Hill. It's going to be great. And we said, right. And so uh, he, he's Simon. He's not Simon. He's Minor Mick. Uh, Minor Mick got us all there and said, the kids are going to have a great time. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. So we went to Anstey's Hill and we all met at the bottom of the hill and it's all going to be fine. Don't worry. Trust, trust me, Simon says. Believe me. Um, and uh, then it got, we got a map, which was written on the back of an envelope, but it was a map anyway. So we, we kind of felt secure all of a sudden. Oh, there's a plan. And he said, yeah, the plan's quite simple. What we're going to do is we're going to find Captain Jimmy Big Nose, and then we'll kind of, I'll just kind of hand out lollies or stones or something like that. And so it all kind of happened, and it was brilliant. Um, but things weren't always like that in the early days. And for the disciples, we better get rid of him. Um, for the disciples, they're not feeling secure. They're feeling deeply troubled. Jesus, you've said you're going, and we don't know what's going to happen next. They didn't get the plan. They couldn't read the map. They didn't know where he was going or how they were going to get there. All they knew was that he was leaving and they didn't know how to follow him. And so point two on your outlines then, you see Jesus makes massive claims. Remember the problem? They don't know the way to follow Jesus. So what does Jesus say in verse 6? I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not just I am the way, but I am the truth and the life. I'm the way to friendship with God. That's absolutely true. But I'm also the truth that you need to know, that will secure you in the way. I'm the life. I'm all that God intended for you. Not just for the last three years, not just for the next two weeks, I am the life. And so he expresses it negatively in the second half of the verse. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And in our kind of context, everyone gets cranky about this because it sounds so arrogant. Unless, of course, it's true. If it's true, it's the most loving thing that Jesus could ever say. And it's not just here in John 14. As you read through the New Testament, you see over and over again, there's this exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way. In fact, if you come to Acts, you see that that's what they call themselves. The Christians call themselves the way. Not our way, the way. As you read through the speeches in Acts, uh, Paul and Peter say Jesus is the only way. And it's not surprising that other world religions make exclusive truth claims. For the Muslims, the Quran makes exclusive claims to be the truth. Uh, The Hindus in their Vedas have the same thing. The Buddhists reject all other truth claims. Christianity is not alone. Jesus is not alone in making exclusive claims to truth. But in our kind of modern world of tolerance and pluralism, we've just sort of said that everyone's right all the time. And it's a nonsense. It's a fairy tale. For every major religion to say that it's exclusive, we can't all be right. And it's worth reminding our kids about this. One of the things I will do is say, um, do you know about my great auntie Barb? And I'll ask people and say, look, uh, you may not have met her. Uh, Put your hand up if you you think my great auntie Barb is really tall. Some kids will put up their hands. Put up your hands if you think that my great auntie Barb is really short. Put your hands up if you think she's somewhere in the middle. Put up your hands if you think that my great auntie Barb doesn't exist. Yeah. Still people. And then you go, okay, everyone's right. You're all right. And kids go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like she's either tall or short or in the middle or doesn't exist. Like you can't have all of them at the same time. So where do you start? If you're someone kind of thinking through what it is to be a Christian, what the claims of Jesus are, how do you kind of weigh them up with other things? I think what you do is you start where the claims are the greatest, actually. I've talked fondly about Stephen before, and I want you to imagine for a moment that after church, Stephen says, look guys, um, it's a special day, it's the 10th anniversary, so what I've done is I've, I've hidden a million dollars in the car park, and then I've also hidden $500 on the oval. I can pretty much guarantee where you're going to start looking. You're going to start looking for a million dollars in the car park. If Jesus' claim is true, it is the most attractive claim you will ever hear. He makes an offer of life through offering up his own life. He doesn't ask you to do anything but to trust him, to believe in him. No one comes to the Father of six except through me. You simply bring your sin, your imperfection, your rebellion. Because he offers to do what no one else can do. 
to die for our sins, to take us to the Father. And so with the old song we sing, without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, without the life there is no growing. That's what Jesus says. The truth about God, the secret to life. Which brings us to verse 7, if you look down there. If you really knew me, Jesus says, you would know my Father as well. And then that massive claim in the second half of verse 7, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And at this point, Philip plucks up the courage. He's seen what Thomas has done. Thomas has taken a hit for the team. So Philip stands up and says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. They still don't get it. They still don't have the foggiest. And... Um, It sounds in verse 9 like Jesus is losing his patience a bit. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? And then the massive claim, the massive announcement there, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the one, Jesus says, who makes the Father known. When you look at me, you see what God's like. How, How do you find God? You can't find him by going to a cathedral or a mosque or reading tarot cards or looking at your tea leaves in your cup. You come to Jesus. He's the way to the Father. Verse 10, he continues, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, Rather, it's uh, the Father living in me who's doing his work. And so, verse 11, he takes it one step further. Um, You can believe me because the words I say are true, but, verse 11, or believe on the evidence of my miracles. Philip, you've been with me. You've seen what I've done. You've seen the miracles. You've seen a blind man who has been blind and now sees. You've seen... Lazarus raised from the dead. You've seen a paralyzed who hasn't walked for decades, now wandering around. If you don't believe what I say, at the very least, believe on the evidence. Um, Can I ask you, in all honesty, do you believe? Do you actually believe that Jesus has prepared a place for you? Are you trusting him with your life? Are you secure in your future because of him? Or are you still troubled? Can I say, if you're troubled, please come and chat to someone, one of the leadership team here. Um. There haven't been many joys in returning to Sydney. I probably shouldn't say this because it's being recorded. Uh, We'll cut this out later. There haven't been many joys in returning to Sydney. One of them has been that my brother is a member of the Sydney Cricket Ground. And what that means is, to get a seat in the member stand at the Sydney Cricket Ground, you have to get there ridiculously early. So the gates open at 7am for a 10.30 start. But it's not okay to be there at 7 because it's not Adelaide. And so he gets there at about 5.30 in the morning. Now, bear in mind, he lives in a, a suburb called Penrith, which is about an hour and a half away from the cricket ground. So he gets up probably just before he goes to bed to get to the cricket ground at 5.30. I live 350 metres from the Sydney cricket ground. This is not a boast, it's just true. 
I roll out of bed at 10.15, wander down the road, get a coffee on the way, and I'm happily seated in my seat in the member stand at 10.20 for the game to start at 10.30. It's brilliant. Because everything's been organised. He's done everything necessary for me to have a seat in the member stand at the Sydney Cricket Ground. I just turn up. I just believe that he'll get up and do what he says he's going to do and make it all possible. Hear what Jesus says. Believe me. Trust me. I've reserved a seat for you. I've done everything necessary so you can be with me, with the Father. And then point three, he sets these incredible expectations. Uh, Just the last couple of minutes, if you can look at those last few verses. We've seen the big promises. We've seen the massive claims. Have a look now at the expectations. What Jesus expects these disciples will do once he leaves. It's, it's unbelievable. Verse 12, look down there. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I, I, I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Really? Even greater things than these. How can you possibly say to this bunch of buffed disciples that they're going to do greater things than this. Look at the verse again. I think the clue is at the end of the verse. Because I'm going to the Father. Because I'm going to the Father, you will do greater things than this. Because I'm going to the cross, there's this whole new world that's going to open up. Because I go to the Father, you will receive the Spirit. That's what you look at next week in verse 16. Because Jesus goes to the Father, you will receive the Spirit, and the mission of the church will just explode. You guys will see nothing that you can imagine as the gospel just breaks out across the world. There's this little country called Australia. There's this little suburb called Modbury. It's even going to go there. People in Modbury, in a country you haven't heard about and won't hear about for hundreds of years, will celebrate what you guys now know, that I am the way, the truth and the life. Because I'm going, the next stage of salvation history is just going to explode. What are the greater works then? I mean, it's hard to imagine doing miracles more impressive than Jesus. But gathering people around Jesus to celebrate Him all over the world for thousands of years, that's incredible. We've looked this morning at the last 10 years in one part of the world, in one moment of time. It's fun. It's remarkable, we thank God, but it's a tiny little bit of the greater works that God's people have done over the last 2,000 years. And we pray it will be a tiny bit that what God will do through His people over the next 2,000 years. We've thought already about the possibility of planting more churches. Which is terrifying. 
and Scott and his team are troubled. They're anxious. <laughs> and they need to be thinking, no, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There are a bunch of people who are thinking, I'm not going, but I probably need to stay, but it's probably all going to fall apart because all these people are going to go and nothing's going to work anymore. It'd be like when James was around. It won't be that bad. A lot of us are just anxious and fearful about our future for ourselves, our own health, our own kids, our own issues around education and work. There are lots of reasons to be anxious and fearful. But with the work of Jesus, please see this. The decisive work in history has been completed. We're not waiting for more information. We have all that we need. And so even in our kind of feeble attempts to trust Him, we can trust Him. We can believe Him. And so He says to us, as He says to the disciples, trust in God, trust also in me. Let's pray that that would be true of us. Do you want to bow your heads and we'll pray? Our Father, we give you great thanks and praise for all that you have done among us. And yet, Father, you know that in our weakness we struggle to trust you. Our hearts are troubled about a whole range of things. Father, we pray that in the things that matter, that you would help us trust you. Fill us by your Spirit as we look to the future, that we will be secure knowing that you are the way and the truth and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.